So I don't know if you paying attention to the calendar uh, like I am, but uh, man, it's almost Thanksgiving. Can you believe that? I mean, it just seems like I was just talking about vacation. I just got back from vacation depressed because I couldn't go back on vacation. And summer was over and fall started and football started and now it's over and Georgia won and who knows what will happen next. I mean, you know, it's just crazy how time flies. And and so with Thanksgiving, I was reminded of this story. Maybe you've heard this story. This is some years ago, Paul Harvey tells this story about the Butterball Turkey Company that decided that they were going to do a hotline for people who wanted to cook their turkeys, right? And so, because they always, people always have questions. Uh, if I were cooking a turkey, I'd be in a Cracker Barrel. So, I mean, that's kind of how I would roll. But, you know, everyone doesn't roll that way. And so they set this hotline up. This one particular woman called because she had this really bizarre question. She found a turkey that had been in her freezer for 23 years. Now, this ain't no one I know, so it's okay. And she wanted to know if it would be safe to cook. 23 years. That's a cheap lady. But anyway, and so he said, well, you, and the, the, the consultant said, well, if it's been in zero degrees, it should be safe, but it's not going to taste good. It may not cook right, and you probably should just throw it out. To which she said, you know, that's what I was thinking, so I think I'll just give it to the church. <laughs> and I think if we're honest, we might not say it that way, but I think that's kind of a lot of times what our attitude is about the church. You know, one of the reasons I love Thanksgiving, and when we're hosting, we're not hosting this year, is I love the week that follows. I eat turkey sandwiches. Turkey and cheese sandwiches till there is no turkey and no cheese. And sometimes that lasts a week and sometimes that lasts longer. And if my son was there, it lasts about two days because he gets a head start on the sandwiches before he leaves. And so I look forward to that. But here's the thing. The highlight is not the sandwiches. The highlight is the meal, right? It's, it's the time you spend with your family. It's the time you spend with friends. It's, it's, it's all those things. And so I think sometimes we get confused and we treat the church and we treat the Lord like He's leftovers. After I do all that I'm going to do, I'll give you what's left. If, if, if I have time, I'll do this for you. If I, if I can fit it into my schedule, I'll, I'll, I'll work it out. But here's what I know. God is not a leftover God. That is just a fact. He's not a leftover God. Scripture's clear about that. God doesn't want our crumbs. He wants us to trust Him first in everything. With the time that He's given us, with the abilities He's given us, with the resources He's blessed us with. He wants to be first in all things. And so we're going to spend three weeks talking about how we deal with our finances, right? And, and so we're going to kind of start from a different place today. So if you're here, and especially if you're kind of, this is the first time you've been here, you're going, oh, here, I'm here in church and talking about money. That's all they talk about is money, 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 money. All right, so let me let you rest at ease. Once a year for about three weeks, we're going to talk about money, money, money. For the rest of the year, we're going to talk about other stuff. In fact, last November was the first time, only the second time in 13 years, that I didn't spend three weeks talking about finances. 
So we're going to talk about that today, now, for the next three weeks, because it's important. You know, we get this whole thing, let's talk about what Jesus talked about. Okay, he talked about money more than anything else. What else do you want us to talk about? Now, there's also should be no guilt with this. So let me set your mind at ease. If you think the church just wants my money, God just wants my money, let me set your mind at ease and understand this. God does not want your money. Not interested in your money. Doesn't need your money. When you create everything, you don't need anything from those that were created. Except for one thing. He wants your heart. That's what God wants. He wants your heart. Not interested in the dollar. He's interested in your heart. The reason we talk about that is because in our world, what is most connected to our heart is a dollar, if we're being honest. Either we want more, or you know, we're trying to hold on to what we have, or get more. No matter how much you have, it's not enough. So let me just say this off the, off the bat, okay? And you're going to hear this. This is going to come um, for years. This will, be a bro- this will be like a broken record. God loves generous givers. If you don't want to give an offering, you should not be guilted into because God doesn't want your money. He'll get it from someone else. If your heart's not attached to your check, to your bank account, God doesn't want it and God doesn't need it. So there's no guilt. But the Bible talks about this, so we need to talk about these things, right? So, but this is what happens. This is where this collision course takes place. It's our, the desire of our heart versus God's desire of our heart. And so this epic collision takes place. This is what I want. This is what God wants for me. And it does not always jihaw to borrow from my grandma. All right? And so we're going to talk about this epic collision that takes place for the next few weeks. But what we're going to talk about today is where things start so we're today we're we're just talking about one thing we're talking about your heart and we're going to talk about this principle of scripture of generosity and god has called us to be generous with our time with our abilities and with our resources okay generosity is not you know you can you can give a dollar and not be generous This is what I'm saying. If your gift, whether it's I'm going to serve the nursery or I'm going to uh, cut grass or I'm going to serve communion or I'm going to give a dollar or do this or do that, if it's not based in generosity, God doesn't want your gift. God doesn't need your gift. He'll get it from someone else. God's desire is that we live a life of generosity. As we are richly blessed, and I say this all the time, I am not wealthy. Never will I be wealthy unless someone in my family spends a whole bunch of money and gives me some. Don't see that happening. So given that that's not going to happen, I am not wealthy. But here's what I am. I'm pretty rich. And I'm pretty blessed. And you cannot, and here's another thing you hear me say over and over again. We talk about this time of year. You cannot measure every blessing in your life by the number of zeros in your bank account. Whether it's all zeros or there's numbers in front of it. Right? You cannot measure every blessing by a dollar. I'm pretty blessed. I'm richly blessed. On a personal level, consider this. When you talk about finances, we always say, well, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. So think about this. If you have a household income of $50,000, you are richer than 90% of people on the planet. $50,000. 
there's 90% of the planet that's poorer than you. If you have a household income of $100,000, you are richer than 99% of people on the planet. So if you have a household income of 100000 which I don't know if you do or you don't, there are 99% of the world would like to be where you're at. We are richly blessed to live in a country that we live in, to enjoy the things that we do. Not everybody is so fortunate. I've been in places where people are not so fortunate. It's why your heart's so important. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, says it this way. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Solomon says, whatever you do, you protect your heart. When you don't protect your heart, generosity does not abound. When we do, it's possible. Jesus makes it even more clear. He says it this way. Where your treasure is, the desire of your heart will also be. In other words, Jesus says, you, what you value most is what your heart values most. Whatever you value, that's your treasure. And if you value a dollar over anything else, that's your treasure. If you value your relationships with your family over, over anything else, that's your treasure. If you, whatever, if you value work over anything else, that's your treasure. Jesus says, whatever you treasure, that's where your heart is. And so we're going to talk about this idea of being generous. generous. And so I want to take you back in time to the Old Testament. And I want to take you back to the book of Genesis. It is to what may be the greatest example of generosity, not named Jesus, the greatest example of managing your resources that there's maybe ever on the planet. So I want to take you back to this guy named Joseph, and we find his story in Genesis chapter 37 all the way through Genesis 50. 34% of the book of Genesis covers his life, right? And so he's a really important guy. Joseph, so let me kind of give you the backstory. I know most of you know it, but in case you don't, let me give it to you anyway. Joseph had these 12 brothers, and older than him and one younger than him, and Joseph was kind of a jerk to his brothers. There's no other way of getting around that, Okay. And his father loved him more than he loved his kids. It's kind of like if you've ever seen The Last Man Standing and, and Tim Allen's character always jokes about Eve being his favorite. And he always says, well, we can't say that. We all know she is, right? And so Jacob was kind of like that. Well, you got 14 kids. Well, we all know who I love the most. I mean, it's no secret. So he gave him this wonderful coat, which in that culture was a really big deal. And it had a lot of colors in it, which in that culture is a really big deal. Give me a flamboyant looking coat and I'm never going to wear it. But in that culture, it's a big deal. And so he got this coat and he's kind of rubbing his brother's faces. He keeps having these dreams. And, the, and, and, and these dreams are all about his brothers bowing to him. And he, he gets in trouble for it. And his brothers say, you know what, we're tired of this jerk. And they sell him as a slave. My brother and I fought a lot. I thought about giving him away. Thought about leaving him on the side of the road. In fact, did leave him on the side of the road once. Um, never thought I should sell my brother. But they did. It's, it's bizarre to even think this. They sold their brother. He becomes a slave. He goes into Egypt. He rises to like the head of the household of this guy named Potiphar, who is captain of the guard, which basically means he's a king's executioner. Okay, that's what, he, that's what that means. He's a, he's a soldier. No, he is the king's bag man. That's what he is. He's a bad dude. He's falsely accused of, of, of attacking Potiphar's wife. He's thrown in prison, and there he writes, and writes, and writes, and writes. 
But he rises to the top like he always does. And pretty soon he's kind of running the prison for the warden, right? And he's got freedom. He's, he's not locked up. He's doing, doing, taking care of the prisoners, taking care of all the stuff. And these dudes have dreams, and Joseph interprets them. And the last guy, he says, now, you don't forget about me. But he did. And then Potiphar starts having these crazy nightmares. And, and his nightmares are the same. There's two of them. He has them over and over again. He, there's, this, there's these seven fat cows that are eaten by seven anorexic cows. And then there's these seven healthy grains of heads of, that are consumed, heads of grain that are consumed by these sickly looking heads of grain. And he just, I don't know what this means. No one can tell him. And then they remember, hey, there's this guy in prison. Joseph comes in and he interprets the dreams. And, and he basically says, here's what's going to happen. For the next seven years, it's going to be really good. There's your, we're, it's, uh, crops are going to grow. We're going to be blessed. I mean, but after that, for seven years, there's going to be nothing. There's not, nothing's going to grow. Grass is not going to grow. Crops are not going to grow. Rivers are going to dry up. Nothing's good. So here's what you ought to do. You ought to appoint somebody to be in charge of this project. You better start saving food because you're going to run out. And when you run out, we're going to be in trouble. Pharaoh was so impressed, he appointed Joseph to be in charge of this. And Joseph was so impressive that he just kept rising up. And pretty soon, Joseph gets to the point where the only person on the planet who's more powerful than him is Pharaoh. And so here he is doing this seven-year project, right? And so this is where we pick things up, all right? And this is where we see managing resources and generosity, this amazing example. And there's this principle that's underlined through this that we'll talk about in just a few minutes. Verse 47 of chapter 41 says this. As predicted, for seven years the land produced bumper crops. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. Now, let me say this. There's so much grain that Egypt, the Egyptians built cities just to store the grain. Solomon built the city just to take care of his horses, right? Joseph has these cities built that no one lives in, they're just full of grain. That, that's their grain cities. That's what they are. Verse 49, he piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you have so much inventory that you just stop paying, keeping, you know, paying attention. Ever have you had so much? Man, we got so much money. How much is in the bank? I don't know. Now, I don't know how much we have in the bank because my wife takes care of it. If she says don't, I don't. That's just kind of our deal. So I have no idea, but, my, but mine is ignorance is bliss. She's taking care of it. I don't have to worry about it. But it's not because we got so much, we're not worried about it. But can you imagine having so much of anything that you don't even keep up with it? Because that's what happened in Egypt. They just stopped keeping up. All right, well, we got a lot. What are we going to do with all this sand? Well, this grain, well, we got a lot. We'll just... Keep storing it. Well, how, do, how much do we have? A lot? I don't know. We got a ton. What no one really understood, what Joseph didn't understand, what the Egyptians didn't understand, what the world couldn't fathom is what was at stake. 
Because in all honesty, for the seven years that follow, one country fed the world. Because there was nothing anywhere. More importantly than that, God had a plan to bring Joseph's family to him. Joseph had no idea what was at stake. He's just doing his job. But he also means he's got to make tough decisions. I'm telling you, if you've ever, you know, no one likes the boss. But I'm, I'm just, sometimes the boss has to make tough decisions. And it's easy to criticize the tough decisions when you don't have to make them. It's hard. If you've ever had to turn an employee loose, I can just tell you that that's some sleepless nights. And people don't understand that until you have to do it. Joseph has got to make some really, really difficult decisions. And this is where they start. Verse 53, at last, seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. The seven years of famine began as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. So Egypt's got food, no one else does. No one else was prepared. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. So eventually, food stops growing in Egypt. Eventually, so here's what you need to understand before we read the rest of it. As the nation is storing up food, what you have to understand is the people have been ordered to store up food as well. So the nation's storing food, the people are storing food. And so there comes a period of time where everything stops growing, but people have stored so much that they can go for a while. And in some cases, years. But then that dries up. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. In other words, it's not my problem. I got plenty to eat. He'll fix it. So with a severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. Verse 57, And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. So let me fill some gaps in before we kind of move on from here and we kind of dive into this principle we're going to talk about today. So the Egyptians run out of food. They have to go to the government to get food. Then they run out of money to pay for the food. Because Joseph's not giving, just giving it away. Right? And so we don't have any money. What are you supposed to do? So Joseph comes up with this really shrewd idea. He says, here's what we're going to do. You give the government your land. You have all the food you eat. And when things start to grow... We get to keep a percentage of what you have from this point forward. All we want is a little piece. If you wonder in Egypt why today the government owns every piece of land, it is because of this guy named Joseph. It's one of these really cool times where something happens in the Bible, meets the modern world. Well, why the, in Egypt every, the people don't own the land? Yeah, because of Joseph. And they give, a, it's the same deal. So here's the thing. There's a principle here that's underlined, that expresses what generosity is and why it's important. So let's talk about this. God is generous. And when we choose generosity, that choice draws us closer to God's heart. God is naturally generous. It is His impulse to give. And to give abundantly. 
See, that's what generosity is. It's not just to give, it's to give abundantly. But it's not just to give abundantly, it's to give abundantly with the right attitude. You see, generosity is as much about your attitude as it's about the giving. That's why I say, if, your attitude, if our attitude is, you know, if, if someone's got a private check out of your hand, just put it in your pocket. Because God will get it from somebody else. Because that's how he works. Generosity draws us close to God's heart. It is, it is giving abundantly, and it's giving abundantly because we want to. Not because we have to. Because as we have been richly blessed, we should be a blessing to others. One of the most joyful things I do every week, and I do it every Monday morning, is I write an offering check before I do anything else. That's the first, it's one of the most joyful things I do. And, when I, and I used to just write the check. The older I've gotten, and I realize how much I've been blessed, sometimes I'll just stop and pray and just thank God for what He's done for me. So I'm not just writing a check, I'm expressing gratitude. Now, I don't always do that. But that's what generosity is. So consider this. Where does generosity come from? In the Old Testament, landowners were ordered by the law of Moses that when they harvested their fields, they had to leave some for widows, for orphans, for the oppressed. If you go back in the Old Testament and you look in the book of Ruth and you see Ruth's story, and which I'm sure we'll talk about one of these days, and you wonder, well, why, why? she just went to this field and she took grain because that's what the law said. The law said, as God has blessed you, be generous to those who are less fortunate. You don't have to give them everything you have. Just give them a little bit. Just, just give them a little bit. In the Acts church, uh, when the Jerusalem church was exploding, in Acts chapter 4, verse 34, it says, there were no needy people among them because they got this principle. They took care of one another. They, they just took care of one another. That's what generosity is. And it wasn't because they had to, because no one told them to do it. See, that's the other thing. Well, why did the Acts church do that? No, no one told them to. They just did it. Generosity is about abundant, joyful giving. But it's got to be done with the right attitude. And that's not just with your dollars. That's with our time, and that's with our abilities. That's what generosity is. It's not, we always think about money. It's not money. It it's encompasses everything that we do. So think about this. Every person through the years who's ever given to the ministry of this church, every person who was baptized, every family that was married in here, every marriage that was saved, every person that was prayed for, every missionary that's been supported around the world. You've had a hand in that. You see, generosity is this really cool thing where you just, you do what you can do, which is not a lot, and God takes that and He multiplies it over and over and over and over again. Everything Wonderful this happened here is because of your generosity. The reason we're talking about here, hopefully in the real near future, when we get some things squared away, we're going to stand up in front of you and talk about our, our next building. 
is your generosity. The thing is, and here's where we get hung up sometimes. We look at the, I can't do this. Well, do what you can. So I want to tell you a story. Um, and I've shared, I've told you a little bit of this story, but I want to tell you the rest of the story. I, I think a while back I told you about this guy in my life. His name was Cecil. Uh, Cecil Ross is probably the person who's influenced my life more than anybody on the planet. That includes my parents. And uh, Cecil was this guy who always believed in me, always believed uh, that God had a plan for me. And quite honestly, he is the sole reason I'm standing in front of you today. He is it. I always had the love and support of my family. He is the sole reason I'm even here today. I'd probably be teaching school and coaching ball if it weren't for him. That's what I was going to do after I realized oceanographers get eaten by sharks, and that was a terrible idea. The teaching school is much safer. So anyway, just have to deal with middle school kids, not sharks. It's a lot better. So anyway, but Cecil always believed in me. He always believed in me. And I want to tell you a story that I did not know that I heard at his funeral. The day that he died, um, my brother called me because my brother was worried about me because my brother knew how important he was to me. So we, we, Scott and I went to the funeral together, and uh, we sat there, and we heard this story. I knew part of the story. I didn't know the whole story. I didn't know the rest of the story. So I'm going to tell you the story. So Cecil's a youth minister at Mableton Christian Church, and this missionary couple comes to him, and they say, hey, look, we're going to go on furlough. We're going to be gone for two years. Um, we need someone to go back there in our place. Would you go? Cecil said, absolutely. I'll go to Zimbabwe. A couple said, really? Yeah, I'll go. They prayed about it. It was all good. As soon as that was over, now keep in mind, this is a long time ago. This is before smartphones and, and everyone had a computer. As soon as they left, he got in his car and drove to the library to find out where Zimbabwe was. Because he had no idea what he committed to. And so we realized where he was going, and he sold everything he had, and he went across, and, uh, and he bought what he needed, and he spent two years there. And he met this boy that unofficially is not an official adoption, but considers Cecil to be his father. And for two years, he raised this boy. Now, when missionaries leave a place, this is what they tend to do. They cash out everything, and they just take money home. They don't take furniture home. They just cash out, and they take home what they can carry. Cecil Ross was a different kind of bird. And when it came time for him to leave, he cashed out everything and went to the missionaries who were there, and he gave them everything. And he said, I want you to make sure that this guy, I can't remember his name, gets an education and has everything he needs. That's what I want you to do. So Cecil Ross is that guy who literally came home with the clothes on his back and not a dollar in his pocket and not a, a one or a two, all zeros in his bank account. He came home, and he went about his business, and then that's, soon after that, he started to get sick, and all those things began to happen. And so one day, this missionary couple came back from Zimbabwe, and they came to see him because they wanted to see him because Cecil at that point in time was pretty sick. And, and Cecil's this big dude, but he always sat in the floor Indian style. 
If he came to your house, he would not sit on the couch. He would sit on the floor Indian style. It's just what he did. And so he sat down, and, and they start telling the story. And they start telling the story uh, of, the, of the, all the hundreds of students who had everything they need to live every day. And he's told the story of these hundreds of students who are now getting a college education. Hundreds of students who are escaping poverty and have a better life. And Cecil, the story is told, began to cry. And he said, you know, I always want to be a part of something like that. I just wish the Lord would have let me be, do something like that. And this couple just looked at him and they were confused. They said, well, what do you mean? This is your story. You're the reason hundreds of kids go to college. You're the reason hundreds of kids escape poverty. It's because of your generosity. It's because of what you started that others began to build on. This is your legacy. And he had no idea. It's the coolest thing I've ever heard said about a person. That's what generosity is. You can't measure your gift. You can't measure your time. You can't measure your investment in whatever you're investing in. It's just our job to do. It's God's job to take that and multiply that and do things that we cannot fathom or imagine. So when I tell you, every person who's invested in First Christian Church your legacy is every marriage saved, every wedding performed, every person who's baptized in the Christ, every missionary around the world who's making a difference. That's your story. That's the story of generosity. And that's what generosity does. And so before we you talk about a dollar, we have to talk about your heart. Because God's not interested in your money. He's interested in our heart. The next time you say, all God wants is my money, think about this. What do you have to give God that he can't get? He split the Red Sea. He created the universe by talking. What can we give him that he can't get? Only one thing. It's the only thing he wants. He desires our heart. Here's the thing. Generosity is not about how much you give. It's about the condition of your heart. It's not the size of the gift that matters. It's the condition of your heart that matters. But here's the greater thing. Generosity, when we choose to be generous, it allows us to make a kingdom difference in someone's life. And when we ignore generosity, we don't get a chance to make a kingdom difference in someone's life. Generous with your resources. Generous with your time. Generous with your gifts. Whatever God has blessed you with, be generous with that father we are uh, so blessed we live in a country that we take for granted every day the freedom we have to drive to the grocery store the freedom we have to be here or not be here the freedom we have to go and do as we please the freedom we have because people have paid a price for our freedom because nothing is free. Sometimes 
when we look at the most downtrodden in our culture. And we forget that compared to the rest of the world, they're so rich in so many ways. Sometimes we, we say things like, we want to be generous, but we just, if we had more, if we could do more, and we forget generosity is not about how much we have, it's about the size of our heart. And every gift of generosity is the same size. Regardless of what it looks like, regardless of how many zeros are behind the check, regardless of how much we give of our time, regardless of how much we give of our abilities. Every gift is the same. Generosity allows us to make a difference in someone's life. Lord, help us to be generous, not just with what we have, not just with what you've blessed us with, but with the truth of your son, Jesus, to be generous with our story as it relates to your story. That's our prayer, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.